set up. Well, I want to start off uh, the Savo with a bit of a confession. Sometimes I get tired. I get weary, and this is the confession bit, I get weary of loving others. I get tired and, and weary of, of doing good. Not, not just the emotion or words of loving. I, that, that's sort of relatively easy to say I love you, to sort of you know, feel a sort of vague love. But the practical action of loving others, I often uh, can, can start to feel weary and tired of doing that. Uh, weary of doing good. Uh, that practical love in the Christian community. Uh, yeah, no, no, I mean that real, really doing good. Not just the little things that make, make us think we've done our bit, uh, the token things, but seriously investing. Uh, it's wearisome sometimes to be, to be serving, uh, to think, oh, my team's on this week again. Uh, to, to be doing hospitality maybe after a long day, maybe when the kids are a bit ratty, ratty and, uh, and you think, oh, I wish I hadn't invited those people a couple of weeks ago. Uh, speaking with people, investing in people's lives, uh, longer term, uh, spending time with people, it can get tiring. When you're on music again, when you've got 20 kilos of chicken wings to chop up for dinner, you know, when you're covering someone extra for setup, when you've got homebrew prep to do, when you're caring for someone enough to ask how they're going, not just how you're going, but how you're going, and then to sit and listen when they tell you how they're going. Uh, that's what doing good looks like. That's what loving looks like. And I must confess, sometimes I become weary. Sometimes I find it tiring. Uh, Sometimes it starts to feel like a burden. It it can be hard, can't it? It can be wearying to really love, to really care about others. Uh, I don't know how you're feeling this afternoon. Maybe you're feeling weary. Maybe maybe you're thinking, yeah, that's me. I'm weary, I'm tired, I'm exhausted with doing good. Maybe you, you feel yourself on that track. You feel like you're, you're heading on a trajectory that you think, oh, I'm going I'm to run out of steam. Maybe I need to take a break. Maybe, maybe you're just afraid of becoming weary if you're overcommit. And the, the fear of exhausting yourself doing good is, is the thing that's stopping you from investing, from, from jumping in. Well, well, if that's you, if, if you're feeling weary, if you think you might be weary in the future, uh, today you are in luck uh, because we have some wonderful words from Jesus to encourage us. Here are some of Jesus' most comforting words. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's, that's what Jesus says. But I think in our day-to-day lives we can so quickly slip into acting like we have a tally board with Jesus. Uh, not, not something we believe necessarily, but something we just slip into sort of doing. Uh, we slip into thinking that we have to chalk up enough good to earn our forgiveness or to show that we deserve the forgiveness that we've already had. Uh, it won't be a conscious thought change. It'll just, we find ourselves doing good and feeling like we have to because we owe Jesus because I, I need to keep chalking up those points. Uh, it's, 
It's easy to start slipping with this idea that, that we need to get enough tally points so that Jesus will give us a thumbs up and our entry ticket to heaven. Now, that might not be what we're thinking or believing, but that's often how we end up acting. And that's just not the picture of forgiveness that the Bible gives. Uh, that's, that's cold religion, another system of just earning your way into God's good favour. And Jesus, we say, he offers a different way. He offers a, a different way, a light burden, he says, an, an easy load. Uh, here's how Paul describes it in Ephesians. He says, by grace you've been saved. If you're not familiar with that word grace, we use it a lot because it's amazing. It's in the Bible heaps. Grace means undeserved generosity. Uh, a generosity you couldn't deserve or earn. That's how we're saved. It's, it's by grace you've been saved. Through faith, and this not from yourselves, but it's a gift of God. Not by works, not by tally points, so that no one can boast. See, for Christians, for people who follow Christ, Jesus, we don't do good because of religion. We don't do good to somehow save ourselves. Uh, that's, that's the whole point of the gospel. The good news of Jesus is, well, it starts with bad news, that you can't do enough good. That, that, that you can't chalk up enough points on your tally board to, to ever pay for your sin. Uh, we just sang about it earlier. I trust in Jesus. I trust in him. That's, that's the good news of Jesus, that, that following him, trusting him, trusting his uh, forgiveness that he earned on the cross, that he paid for, that, that free forgiveness, that, that is the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. Uh, it's free. You don't have to do anything to earn it. Uh, that's what we're here to celebrate and enjoy and thank God for. But, but it raises that little question. Well, that, that, that's wonderful. But where does that leave doing good? Where, where does that leave us in terms of what we do? Uh, well, if, if we read on uh, to verse 10 of Ephesians, uh, so that no one can boast, verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You've been saved by, through grace, by faith. You can't deserve it. You can't earn it. But does that necessarily leave us with nothing to fill our lives with? We, with we, are we free to not do good, to do what we want? No. Jesus shows us no. We, we, we've been purchased, forgiven, made into new people to do good. Now you might be sitting there thinking, well hang on Liam, that's just another burden. You, you've just tricked me into doing more good, into having a tally board again. It's just another exhausting religious command. Okay, so, so let's assume... Uh, Let's assume that we're not trying to claw our way into heaven by standing on a pile of stuff that we're doing. That's the picture I have. We're not doing that. We're not trying to stack up good works so that we can somehow reach over the lip and grab onto heaven. We're not trying to do that. We know that won't work. We know that is exhausting. Uh, If that's you, if you're still living that way, if you're still thinking, I've just got to clean myself up a bit. I've just just got to be a bit better and then... And then I can come to Jesus. Then I can be forgiven. If that's you, please, I would love to talk to you about that. I'd love to pray with you about that and and show you what Jesus says. That's that's not the way to come to him. It's to give up on that pile of good stuff and say, no, I know that won't save me. I know that won't contribute. And rely on Jesus. And if that's you, we'd love to help you do that. Come and see me after the service. But if, if that's not you, if you already follow Jesus... Uh, if you already trust Jesus, trust him to save you, you've signed up to actively follow him, which means doing good, the good works that he's forgiven and saved us for. Well, we ask, what's the difference? 
What's the difference between that, between doing the good works that God saved us to do and trying to earn our way into heaven by doing good works? Surely that's just the same thing with different language. What is the difference? Well, well, Jesus' answer is simple, actually, and the difference is in our motivation. The difference is in our motivation. See, when we're trying to tally up enough points to get into heaven, when we're trying to prove to Jesus, prove to God that we deserve to be forgiven, that I can be a good Christian, well, we're doing good then out of duty. We're doing good because that's what we feel is required and we must do. And that is, that is a burden. That is exhausting. Uh, and we just can't keep that up. Whereas Jesus shows us that we can do good, not out of duty, but out of love. But out of love. We, we can do good, not because we have to, because we're obliged, but because we want to. Because we have an emotional and spiritual reaction to what God has done for us. And we can do good out of love. And where we're driven from, that makes a massive difference in how we feel. If you're driven out of duty, I guarantee you'll be feeling tired and exhausted and weary with doing good. When we slip into feeling like we need to do this because we're being dutiful, that's when we start to feel burdened and weighed down because it's a duty and obligation. But when we're motivated from love... That, that can change the whole picture. So today my aim is to refresh us all in God's word. And to do that, I want to paint for you four pictures of practical Christian love that God gives us to show us the beauty of doing good. The four pictures of practical Christian love that God gives us to show us the beauty of doing good. And as we do, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for us now that this will inspire us and invigorate us and refresh us to do good out of love. Ah, can you join me as we pray? Father God, we pray that as we open your word, we pray that we will see uh, how wonderful and beautiful it is to do good. We pray that as we get a fresh glimpse of you and what you've done for us uh, and the family that you've called us into and the future you had ahead of us, we, we pray that seeing these things will refresh our souls. Uh, that we will find a light burden, an easy yoke, uh, that we will find following you and serving you and doing good for you a joy, not a burden. And, and we pray that you would do that in us this morning, uh, this afternoon. Amen. Luke, would you hit the aircon for me? Thank you. Uh, so uh, what we're going to do, uh, we're going to work through these four pictures. Uh, and the first one, our uh, first picture we see in the Bible, uh, really obvious, but it needs to be said, that doing good is real love. Uh, now, I don't know if you've uh, ever heard of a guy called Don Francisco, a uh, singer, uh, one of those sort of upbeat sort of singer, and, and he sings a song, uh, I won't sing it, I won't try, uh, but the, the, the main phrase is, love is not a feeling, it's an act of the will. Uh, and it's a good little thing to hang on to. Love's not a feeling, it's an act of the will. Now, I know I want to show us that from the Bible, not just from Don Francisco, he can say what he likes, but here's what... Uh, John says uh, about, about Jesus. Here's, here's what he says. He says, this is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to, ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? 
Dear children, let us, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And that's a much more profound way of saying it, isn't it? That's, he says, that, let, let's show our love like real love. True love? True love, that's not a feeling. That, it, that comes with actions. And we take our cue from Jesus. See, if Jesus says, I, I, I love the world so much that I might not lay down my life for it. I may or may not. If he just said he loved us and didn't lay down his life, if God says he loved us but refused to give up his son, that, is that real love that, that doesn't act, that doesn't intervene? It's the same for us. That's what John says. Let's not just act with, with love with, with words or speech. Uh, if you've got a spouse or a family member and you say, yeah, yeah, I, I love you, and never show it, they, they know pretty quickly whether the love's real or not. So, so that's the first point, really quickly. Real love acts. Real love cares. Real love is doing good. And we'll see what that looks like in the Christian community as we see um, that love is the picture of the Christian community. Love is the picture of the Christian community, and it's actually the only way that the Christian community can survive. Uh, let's have a look there in John 13. Here's what Jesus says to his followers. Uh, he says to them, uh, John 13, 34, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, now that, that's pretty black and white, isn't it? How will people know that you're a Christian? How will people know that this group of people follow Jesus, the cross? Well, Jesus makes it clear. He says, well, no, by the way you love one another. Now, now you can't see feelings, can you? You can't see sort of words. Uh, you can see practical love. Uh, we heard a little bit about that from Kylie. I remember uh, a good friend of mine in Sydney. Uh, she'd just given birth to her first baby. She was out walking uh, with uh, a mum from her mum's group. And they were chatting as they were walking along with their first babies. You know, chatting away. And this new mum said, she said to my friend, she said, Oh, I tell you what, I don't think we've had a proper meal in three weeks. I don't know when the last time I showered and you wouldn't want to come home to my place. And that's how, that's, and she was being honest. We've just been eating takeaway. We're not, we're eating noodles and takeaway. I can't clean. Ugh. And Jess sort of sheepishly said, I've had a meal dropped off every second night for the last month. You know, and that was profound. Uh, her, her Christian community was loving her. And her friends sort of stopped Stopped dead in her tracks and went, what? Who, who's, who's dropping these meals off for you? No, it's not your parents, really. Who is your church? That's what they do. They, they can see love. And that's what Jesus says. Now, this is the picture of the Christian community. A, a community without love is nothing. Just a bunch of people who say they believe the same things. But it hasn't translated into how we behave. So becoming a Christian is joining a family. We, we, we talk about that all the time because that comes up so often. The family of believers. That's how we're described. And that's what you do for family. You care for family. You love each other. And that's how Jesus says, uh, that's how we, we will know that we're Christians. 
Uh, one of the things about joining a family is that you, you sort of take on a family resemblance. Not because you get new genes, because as you live with that family, you, you take on the attributes of your family. And that's, as Christians, what we've done with God. We take on the family resemblance, the mark of God's love for us. Uh, and, and that starts to come out. But, but it's not only a mark of genuine Christianity, it's not only the, the sign that this really is a Christian community, but love is required for the church's survival. Have a look at this uh, in, in 1 Peter 4, 8. Here's, here's what Peter says. Above all, he writes, above all, giving you lots of other instructions, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Now, now remember, we're talking about not just words. Uh, words, I love you, covers nothing. Does, does, that does squat. Real love that, that shows itself in actions, that covers a heck of a lot. See, we are all broken. Uh, if you're a visitor here, that might be a surprise. You, you might oh, I want to get out of here. But we're all broken. We're all sinners. And if you think you're not, I'd love to chat with you. I'm sure I can talk to your spouse or someone who knows you well. uh, And we'll find out that that we are all broken. We are all sinners. We will hurt each other. Not on purpose, I pray, but we will. Because we're not perfect yet. That it's going to happen. So so what's going to stop this group of people who have no family relation, nothing other than Jesus holding us together, what's going to stop us from shattering Love. Love is going to cover a multitude of sins, Peter says. See, and it works both ways. It's much easier to forgive someone if they have loved you. If someone has been loving towards me, and I know they love me because of the way they've behaved, when they hurt me, I'm going to, it's going to be much easier for me to treat them with grace and forgiveness and understanding because I know they love me. This is, this is uh, yeah, they've wronged me, but I, I can act in forgiveness. And the other way too, it's easier for me to forgive someone if I'm loving them. If, I've, if I'm consciously thinking, I'm here to love others. When they hurt me, it's, oh, what's the loving thing to do here? To be forgiving. And it's not just me, it's you. You will find it easier to forgive me if I'm loving you, I hope. Uh, that's the way it works. We will hurt one another. It happens in all families. We all stuff up. We all hurt one another from time to time. But if there is real, active love at work, we have a shot of surviving. Love is crucial. It's required to, for this Christian community to survive. Uh, and what we, what we see as well in these verses, over in Galatians, uh, which if you're in home groups, you would have had a chance to step through some of these passages earlier this week. Over in Galatians, Paul writes... Uh, that, that we are to carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What, what we see here and we know to be true pragmatically is that we all go through seasons where we need some help. Uh, we all have ups and downs. You might be on a very long up and hoping that you never have a down or you might be on a very long down and really praying for an up. But we all have seasons where we have burdens. And that means everyone else in our church family will have seasons when they are burdened. When there's something going on inside them, around them, in their family, in their work, where where they've got a load to bear, a a tough time. Uh, Just statistically, 
a whole bunch of us will be carrying a burden right, to, right at this moment today. We'll be going through something. I don't know who you are. I know who some of you are, but I don't know who you are. Some of us will always be carrying a burden at a different time. And, and Paul writes, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. People are going to need help to get through life. Now, we might be able to survive just carrying your own burden. It's very Aussie, isn't it, to, to say, I'll just deal with myself. I don't need you know, no help from no one. Double negative, so it's a positive. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's what we like to say. I don't need any help. I can do this on my own. I, I can carry this. And often if we, if we feel we need to ask for help, we feel weak. We feel like we don't deserve it. And we feel like we're, we're not good enough. But that's not what the Bible says. You're going to have burdens. I'm going to have burdens. And we are commanded to help each other through it. You might be able to survive this tough time on your own. You might be able to do it on your own. But I guarantee it will be easier and better for you and the church if you share that burden. If you allow others to get around you and help you through it. And you likewise help them. It's a mark of the Christian community and it makes life so much easier. But doing that, it's going to mean that we're going to have to be generous. Generous with our, maybe with our money, but also with our time. When someone's going through something tough, sometimes they need financial help. Mostly they need time. They need support, they need prayers, they need a visit or a meal or just a chat, just an ear. And we're going to have to be generous. We're going to have to be patient with one another, knowing that, yeah, there's, there's tough times going on. and we, we can, that, That's what it's going to take to bear one another's burdens. That, that's what it'll take to help bear other people's burdens. But to allow others to bear your burdens, it's going to take humility. And that's another mark of Christians, isn't it? To be humble, to say... I can't do it on my own. I know I look like I do, but I can't. I can't survive and I need some help. To open up to those we know and trust and lean on them. It's going to mean being vulnerable. We don't like admitting that we're weak. Maybe we've been hurt in the past when we've done so. And it takes time to build that trust. But but these are the attributes that it's going to take for this community to be able to do what we're instructed to do. to, To bear one another's burdens. To... To love one another, it's the only way we'll survive. And it's the true mark of a Christian community. And I want to say, that's a community I want to belong to. A group of people who want to help me through life, who are committing to be there for me, not just when I'm doing well and fun to be around, but when I'm doing it tough and maybe I'm not so fun. Yeah, that's, that's a group I want to be a part of. Now, now it, it just also gets better for me. That's the second picture of the, the Bible paints of why uh, doing good, practical love is good. But the, the third picture we, we get here is that there is an eternal reward uh, for doing good. Now, now, sometimes when we're doing good, it, it can feel like it's just going unnoticed. Well, often when you're doing good, it feels like it's going unnoticed, like it's unrewarded. And often it feels like it's a bit pointless. Maybe the person you're helping or the thing you're investing in, you can't see any result. You're doing all this good, you're serving them, you're loving them, and it doesn't seem to be making a difference. You can't see any result. Well, this next picture from the Bible shows us that if we're loving others to serve God, uh, then our good will always be achieving something. Uh, The writer of Hebrews writes this. He, He says, God is not unjust. 
He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Did you get that? God isn't unjust. He won't forget the love you have shown him by helping his people and continuing to help them. See, if we're doing good to trade favours with others, often that's how we do good. I'll help you out and, you know, you owe me one. If we're doing good to build a reputation as a good person, and I think both those attitudes are in all of us sometimes, just lurking there, just under the surface, I like to be thought of as a good person. I like people to owe me favours that I can call in at some time. If we're doing it for that, then often doing good will feel fruitless. Because often the favours that we think we are owed won't come. Uh, Often the reputation that we hoped we might achieve, it it just won't come to be. And even if we're doing good to help someone uh, without those self-serving favours, just to make a difference in their life, often that can be fruitless. Often we can pour ourselves into helping someone and it doesn't seem to help them. It doesn't seem to to make a difference. Often we see no result from our good, from our help, from our serving. But what we see here in Hebrews is that God will not forget. He won't forget the love you've shown him as we help his people and continue to help them. See, even if we see no result from the good we do for other Christians... Even if we see no result from the service and love that we pour into the church, uh, God will not forget. At Home Group this week, one of, uh, one of the guys uh, shared a little illustration that I'm going to see. Uh, that's, it, use. It's a little bit like digging for gold. I want you to picture you're in a big hole, you're digging away, you're hoping to find a nugget. Uh, sometimes you do, often you don't. Um, and, and that's the way that doing good often works, doesn't it? You're digging a big hole. Every now and again, you strike a nugget and, and you see a result from the good that you've done. You think, woohoo! Other times, you've been digging for weeks and all you can see is dirt. That, that's often how, how doing good feels. Now, now, if we are doing that good for God, if we're remembering the, the, those verses from Hebrews, if we're showing our love to God by doing good to others then the nuggets that we get or don't get, they don't really matter. Because God, he doesn't focus on the nuggets, he focuses on the massive pile of dirt that's left behind from our excavation. See, so when you drive past a mine, that's the proof they've been digging, isn't it? That's the proof. The big pile of dirt, that's the proof. They've been working hard to find something. The big pile of dirt. And that's what God focuses on. The the pile of dirt, the the good that you have done. Not necessarily whether you've found a nugget or not. Not necessarily whether you've been rewarded or you've seen the good. God says, well, if you're doing that good to show me love, to honour me, I'll I'll not forget. I can see that massive pile of dirt. I'm not going to miss it. I'm I'm not going to owe you one. I won't forget that. If we've done it to honour God, to show him our love, he will not forget. Uh, and that's, that's the next picture we see. God won't forget the good that we do. There is an eternal reward waiting for those who show their love to God by doing good for others. And the fourth, and, and I believe most important picture that should inspire us to do good is seeing how living this way gives great glory to God. 
Uh, And we're going to jump into 1 Peter chapter 4 here and pick it up in verse 8. Uh, Peter writes, above all, love each other deeply. We skip a couple of verses there. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That's how Peter finishes his little exhortation to do good. Gives a couple of ways you can do good, but he says, and we'll come back to that in a minute. So that, he says, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory. Now, now there are two ways, two main ways that, that God can be praised, that God can be glorified through our doing good to others. Uh, the first way is through uh, just the obedience, uh, the heart attitude of doing good for God. Uh, you might be doing good in secret in a way that no one will ever see, that, that will never be detected by anybody. Uh, that, that might be the way you're, you're doing good at any point. And if you are doing that by God, that gives him great honour. That gives him great glory when one of his people uh, serves him because they want to serve him, obeys him and loves him because they want to obey him, not because anyone else is watching, not because of the result it may or may not bring, but because I want to show my love for God. That is, that is a wonderful way to, to honour God. That's, that's a way for us to glorify God. But the second way that we can glorify God through doing good is when others see the good that we do. Here's what uh, Jesus says in in Matthew chapter 5. He he says again to us, to his followers, he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in their house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, when others see God's people acting in real love, when the community, the world sees God's people acting in real love, doing good, it brings much glory and honour to him. Now, as Rob mentioned earlier, recently there has been... Lots in the news about churches across many organisations, many denominations, who have failed to be loving. And instead, uh, individuals within those organisations have horrendously mistreated vulnerable people. And it's just been heartbreaking to watch these stories unfold. Now, Now, not only does that have a terrible effect on the victims, a lifelong effect on the victims... But across the board, it brings great dishonour to God. Uh, When people who've said, I'm a Christian, I lead a church, uh, are found to have behaved in horrendously unloving ways, especially to the weak and the vulnerable, regardless of the fact that these individuals have been treating people in precisely the opposite the way to Jesus' commands. Despite the fact that they they may not even be Christians, uh, if they're behaving in this way, Likely, they're not if they're not displaying the kind of love that Jesus says mark Christians. Despite that fact, they have nonetheless been wearing the Christian badge publicly and have so brought incredible dishonour to Christ. Now, of course, we want to do everything we possibly can to prevent anything like this happening in our community, both to love the vulnerable in Lake Mac Church and to avoid dishonouring God. But I want to say that that is far from enough. 
managing not to dishonor God, that, that, that's, that's a pretty low bar. That's a pretty lame goal. We, we don't want to make it our goal not to dishonor God. We want to aim to honor God, not to just stay neutral and make sure we don't bring him shame, but, but get into the positives and bring him glory and honor and praise to do such good both privately in secret and publicly that everywhere Jesus will be praised. That, that's the picture of the Christian community and the effect that it can have on those around it. That God will be honoured by our lives of love. Now, now I hope today that as we've, we've stepped through these four pictures, I hope that, that that sort of captured your vision. I hope that you've seen the, the amazing things that can happen when we, we live these lives of love. I pray that together we will truly see the difference between being motivated by duty or motivated by love. And I hope that you're ready to join together with Paul as he says in Galatians 6, 9. This is his exhortation. He says, let us not become weary. I hope that you're ready to join in with Paul in your heart. Let us not become weary of doing good. Do you want that? For the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I hope that within you there's an excitement building up that you think, oh, that's, that's how I want to live. That, that when I have opportunity, I want to do good to everyone, especially, especially the family. So, so what's that going to look like for us? How will we show practical love uh, within our community? Well, well, it's actually pretty simple, really. And I've got a little phrase uh, that I've uh, tried to be rolling around in my head. And this is my sort of paraphrase. <clears throat> this is how we can do good. To, to use whatever God has given you, however much he's given you, to serve others. That's what I believe it looks like practically to practically love others. Here's how Peter puts it in our passage that we read, verse 8. Above all, Peter writes, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. What's that going to look like, Peter? He says, oh, I'm glad you asked. Verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. Now, now I want to say that, that we, we're a little culturally confused about giftedness. The words in here, which I think we trip over. Uh, gifting, I think we think of gifting is that you have a gift or you don't. Uh, we think, yeah, yeah, I'm either gifted. That's the way we talk about school. There's gifted students and gifted classes. And if you're not gifted, if you're not a genius, you don't have that gift. That, that's the way culturally I think we think about gifting. But, but that's not the way gifting works. There, there's a spectrum of giftedness. Uh, from right down the bottom... The bottom is you can't do it at all. That's the, the lowest point on the spectrum. You, you can't do it at all. <laughs> to be exceptionally perfect. They're the words I try to use. That, that, that's the spectrum of giftedness. And I think we, we think of having a gift as someone who's in that sort of top 5%. 
who's way up there, very close to exceptionally perfect. And so when we hear this word, if God's given you a gift, we think, I'm not exceptional at that. I wouldn't call myself gifted. You know, oh, he's such a gifted singer. No, that, that's not how I describe myself. Uh, and that's what we think. So we say, oh, that's obviously not my gift. Because that's what we think about giftedness. Uh, but, but that's not how it works. See, so I think there's very few things that, that we fall into this category. There's very few categories that either you can't do it all or you're exceptionally perfect at. Now, for me, I actually can't think of anything that, that, I, that I fall into can't do it all or exceptional. Well, there's a few things I can't do at all. But, but there's not many. There's not many things where I say I, I fall on those outliers. For most of us, we fall somewhere in the middle between uh, not terrible to, yeah, pretty good. That, that, that's how I describe that middle bracket. Oh, not, how, how's Liam at cooking? Oh, he's not terrible. To, oh, yeah, he's pretty good. Not exceptionally perfect, but it's not that he can't do it all. And I think for lots of us, for most things in life, that's the bracket we fall in in gifting. That's where we range. And I think the Bible's picture is that if you are anywhere above can't do it at all, then you can use that gift to serve God. Uh, Let me illustrate. Uh, I I haven't asked Judy and Lawrence, but I'm going to use them. Uh, If we think of uh, physical strength, uh, we have Judy, uh, who's strong, but not as strong as me. So I'm stronger than Judy, but I'm not as strong as Lawrence. You know, so there's, there's a, we have physical, we all have physical strength that God has gifted us with. We can all lift things. Judy can't lift as much as me. I can't lift as much as Lawrence. Does that mean I don't have the gift of strength? No, God has gifted me. I'm strong. I can do things. I just can't do as much. And Judy can't lift as much as I can. Do you see how it works? God's given us all strength, just different levels of strength. Uh, we, we all have it, well, in different ways. But, and, and, and we therefore should use that to serve God, to the capacity that he has given us, to the capacity of the gifting that he's given us. Uh, let's use a, a better illustration, hospitality. That's, that's where Peter goes. Uh, Peter says, you know, use whatever you've been given to serve God. Oh, what, what might that look like? Practice hospitality without grant. That's the example he goes to first about gifting. Now, now I want to say a couple of things about hospitality. First of all, hospitality is primarily not about the food. I have been to places where I've had an exceptionally good meal and felt exceptionally uncomfortable and unwelcome. And I've been to places where the food was very plain, very plain, no salt on the table, but have felt so loved and welcomed, not looking at anyone that wasn't here, don't worry. Um, but even if it was, uh, wouldn't you like this? You know, that if you can make someone feel welcome with plain food, and you can make someone feel very awkward and, and unwelcome with exceptional food, it's not necessarily about the food, although I've got to say it, it helps. You know, but, but we use whatever capacity we have. And now you can practice hospitality by cooking a, a meal with an entree and a dessert and serving it. And, and, and that is a wonderful thing if it's done in love, in love appropriately. That can be very loving and hospitable. That, that's, that's at the top end, isn't it? But, but you can practice hospitality by saying, come on over for a cup of tea. Can you boil the kettle? Yep. Uh, I even make them pour their own milk in so I don't stuff that up. Uh, so, and you can do that. Have a cup of tea. Crack open the arnuts. 
You're doing hospitality if you are welcoming them. And not grumbling, just, just joyfully having someone with you. Uh, you might not be able to have someone in your home for whatever reason at the time. Uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, Coles do uh, $8 barbecue chickens and $2 packets of bread rolls. You can practice hospitality down the park with a takeaway coffee. Uh, we, we can do it to whatever capacity we have, to whatever gifting God has given us. The important thing is that we, we do it, that we use whatever God has given us, no matter how much he's given us, to serve others. Uh, the other thing I want to flag here as we think about, well, how do we do this, is the difference between formal serving others and informal serving others. Within our church community, we have serving teams. We're about to have a lovely meal. Better be lovely. No, always is lovely. Uh, which is cooked for us by a serving team. You're sitting in chairs that were lovingly arranged in a gentle curve so that you can all see and hear by a team. Uh, if you've got children, they're being looked after by a team. Someone was here setting up the sound. I wrote my sermon. The Musos practice. Thank you, Musos, for practicing. We've all been served today in different ways by different serving teams, formal teams. So that, that's, that's one way of serving, by, by getting on a team. The other way of serving is the sort of informal serving. And that happens when we, we see a need and we meet it. Now that need might be someone's on their own, I'm going to wander up and say, G'day, I'm Liam. And stay there and chat to them. Uh, that need might be when they say, Oh, yeah, how's your week been? Oh, actually pretty rough. Oh, that's no good. What was it like? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, I'm going to serve you. I'm, I'm ready. Yep, I'm going to love you by having a conversation, by listening and caring and investing in you. Uh, a need might be, be, be something practical that comes up. Uh, that's the informal way of serving. And, and often that, that happens here at Lake Mac Church, mostly through home groups. That's, that's our small groups who meet during the week where we, we know each other more closely. We know the needs that come up. Now, now, there's a danger at both ends of the formal, informal spectrum. There's a danger if you're on a serving team to say, oh, I serve. I set up the chairs once a month. Serving done. I'm a good Christian. Uh, and then we, we don't respond to the needs, the informal serving. But there's a danger at the other end of the spectrum too that says, oh, well, I want to be freed up to serve informally. I don't want to tie myself down to a, to a roster or a team. Uh, so that, I'm telling myself, so that I can serve people when the needs arise. But I think often that's more about my selfishness that doesn't want to lock in. Uh, I'm going to be there if I'm on a roster, if I'm on a team, that's sort of saying I'm going to be there. I think that's, that's the danger at the other hand, that, that formal, informal danger. So, so let's, let's think on these four things that, that, that we've seen from God's word. The real love, that's, the, that's what doing good is. This beautiful picture of the Christian community. The eternal reward that God promises. He won't forget the good you've done. And the glory that it will give to him. And as we commit to joining Paul, as we commit to saying, let us do good to all people. As we commit to that, I want to encourage you to look around. Have a look at the serving teams. Uh, there's always you know, a serving list on your roster. Often there'll be a little TBA. That means to be arranged. And that usually means Rob's going, I really hope I can find someone before next week. 
Uh, that's what TBR usually means. There's, there's always room to serve. We've got lots of people who are serving every week because uh, they're covering multiple teams. Uh, so if, if you look around say, hey, Rob, how can I serve? How can I serve formally? Where can I invest? And, and look around informally. Uh, now, obviously, it's best for us if we can spend most of our time at the, the upper end of the arrow. You know, you don't want to spend all your time doing stuff that you're not terrible at uh, when you could be doing something you're really quite good at. Um, but there'll be times where there's a job that needs doing and you're the one who's there. You're the one who said, yeah, I want to serve. Yeah, I'm not great at it, but I'll do it. Uh, look around and take the opportunities that we see, these endless opportunities. Now, now as you look around and think of the, uh, the opportunities, that can make us feel a bit overwhelmed. Uh, now, to, to help with that, I want to introduce you to a very colourful diagram, quite proud of this. Uh, circles of focus, of, of obligation. And I've used all the colours Rob told me not to, so you probably can't read it. Right in the middle, uh, we've got home group, then the outer circle is Lake Mac Church, then the outer circle that's in red is other Christians, then further out again is everyone. I think the easiest way to explain this is through children. I have four daughters. Now, I, as a just as a person, I'm commanded to love everyone, which means all children everywhere. So when compassion, when we have compassion here, and I see these kids who need sponsoring, need food and vaccine, I go, I want to love them. I can invest in So, so I want to love all children. But I have a prior obligation, a stronger obligation to my own children in my family. We understand that I, I am obliged to look after my children more than all the other children at church, and I'm obliged to them more than all the children in the world. You know, they're just circles of obligation. It's the same way with loving our church family, with loving other people. Uh, and now I want to say, if you're looking for who to love, if you're thinking, well, where do I start? Start at that closest circle of obligation. And if you're here at Lake Mac Church, if you're a member of the family, that smaller circle is your home group. The small group that you meet with. Uh, every week where you study the Bible, you pray and share your life together. That, that's, that's why we have home groups. That's where we can best care for each other. I can't love everybody here. <coughs> if it was my job to pastorally care for everybody, I guarantee you'll all be thoroughly unloved. Or maybe a couple of you will be well loved and everyone else will get nothing. You know, that, that's just the way it works. I can't do it all. But in small groups, well, we can invest in each other deeply and do it really well. So you go, okay, that's my first port of call for where can I love? Then you look at our church family. Then you look for other Christians elsewhere. And then you look for everybody. That, that's the way it works. Uh, now, obviously, I'm not, saying, uh, I'm not saying that it's okay to get so busy caring for Christians that we're not going to have time to share the good news of Jesus with the world. That's, that's not what this is justifying. Just last week, we looked at how we're called to be relentlessly missional. Uh, doing anything short of sin to reach those who don't know Christ. So, so that, that doesn't change that. We're still called to be missional. But this is about practically who do we love first. So how, how are we going to practically love? Uh, I, I can hear the question coming up, what am I going to write in my hands box today on my hand? I can see you all asking, what's it going to look like for me today? I'm glad you asked. Well, first of all, Hospitality. Uh, that is where Peter starts us, isn't it? Hospitality. How can you love others? Well, who can you practice hospitality to? Who in your home group can you say, do you want to meet me at the cafe for a cuppa? Do you want to come over to my place for a cuppa? 
You want to come over to my place for a meal? Just, just how can I offer hospitality? Uh, what about a visit or a phone call to someone you haven't seen for a while? To someone you suspect uh, who's, who just needs a bit of a chat? Uh, maybe you've been praying in your quiet time. Lord, show me who it is that you would have me invest in. And then when you think of someone, ring them. See how they're going. Say good day. Just thought I'd check in. Uh, it could be driving someone to an appointment. That is an immensely practical way of helping out someone who can't get somewhere. Uh, just saying, yeah, I'd, I'd love to drive you. I, I can help out with that. Uh, it could be helping with cooking or cleaning. Uh, come see me if you'd like to help out with or anybody. Uh, there, there's so many things we could do. Child mind. You could, you could help out setting up uh, someone's computer. That ha- that's a real example. Happened this week. Uh, someone younger helped someone slightly older in the congregation to set up their new computer. That's a great way of practical love. Mowing someone's lawn, being generous, uh, encouraging, or, or helping someone escape from a sin. Someone who's struggling with sin, walking through them with that. That's not going to be easy. That's going to take time. But that is practical love. It could be practically anything. Practically anything. But, but the principle is the same, that we should use whatever God has given you, however much he's given you, uh, to serve us. Let's pray that we would do that for God's glory. Father God, we, we pray that you would fill us with your love. We've seen how you, you poured out your love for us, how you laid down your life for us. And you have called us into your family to imitate you. We, we pray that you would transform us so that we, we could love out of good motivations for the good of love, others and, and for your glory. And, and we pray that you'd show us Practically now, uh, pop into our minds right now the, the acts of love, the areas we could be investing in others. Um, we pray that you would uh, niggle our consciences. Do not let us forget the things that uh, you are convicting us uh, to put into place as we think about how we can show your love uh, to those around us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.